receive Jess as a good gift because that is what she is. And I believe the message you have for us is going to set us apart, set us forward. And I'm so grateful for you. You are a beautiful human. Okay, let's say hi. Thank you, Tessa. Hello, you guys. It's so good to be here with you. And um, yeah, this is going to be like story time with Jess. Um, I have brought the book, but I have also brought um, a word that I'm really excited to share with you. And I was looking over at all of you shine girls earlier. I know, woo. So what you don't know is that I used to be a youth pastor and Taz was like your age in our youth. And Tasman, I don't know if you remember that night you brought that puppy to youth on a Friday night. You had like this fluffy white puppy thing. I've been waiting actually to tell you that I dropped it (laughs) on its head. So I don't know what it was like after that, but if it wasn't okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I just feel like I needed to make a confession before we started. So I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you so much to Tess and everyone here for making me feel so welcome. And it's really also great to look out there and to see faces from Grace Family Church, which is my home church, Um, and people from Hillsong and um, Jill and her husband lead Hillsong Durban. And Jill and I used to share a bed in London. We were roommates in the most literal sense because we were both broke. So we shared a double bed to cut down on our expenses. And what I love and why I'm telling you that is because there's a way of that God works where he overlaps and he weaves and he brings these beautiful, seemingly disconnected themes and stories and experiences. And so I'm going to share some of my story with you tonight, but I don't want you to listen for my story. I want you to listen for yours. I want you to listen for the words that you could have written, that maybe someone said about you or for you. Maybe someone said words against you or over you, but the words that have been woven through your life, God wants to do something with that story tonight. So to start off story time with Jess, um, I want to read you a little bit from the beginning of the book because it's called Empty Cages because that's where I believe every single one of us is meant to be is soaring, flourishing, and free, looking at an empty cage where we once lived. But the truth is that so many of us are living in cages. The cage that I found myself in, I'll share with you now. So this is chapter one, and it's the line that Tessa remembers from that she wanted to win the chocolate from Dubs. She's like, oh, I remember a line from your book because it's the chapter one. It's called Lazy, Hazy, and Crazy. We were driving back from our weekly dinner, Heading home, actually, I'm just going to do this. We were driving back from our weekly dinner, heading home after half-priced sushi and red wine. I still remember the section of the highway we were on as we left the little Chinese restaurant we'd been frequenting for over a decade of date nights. It was one of those heavy, humid evenings in Durban, you guys know the ones, where the air is so thick with sea spray that the yellow street lamps glow orange in the dark balmy and warm, muggy and hot. What happened to me? I wondered out loud to my husband as we cruised past the neighborhood I'd grown up in. I feel like I used to be such an ambitious, excited person. I feel like I've settled for smallness somewhere. 
Once spoken out loud, that question followed me around, like a desperately loyal little puppy, clamoring for my attention. No ball I kicked to distract it could make it scamper off. Instead, it sat at my feet until I reluctantly picked it up and pulled it close. What had happened to me? For me, it was motherhood. <laughs> motherhood had happened to me. <sighs> I discovered that while I was the fun mom who was up for a spontaneous adventure, I was also the mom who dropped her kids off at school the day before the term started. <laughs> Twice. I learned that I was the mom who could happily sit on the floor and set aside all the chores and play Lego for hours. I was, however, also the mom who never knew what they were meant to be bringing to Valentine's Day. You guys know the mom on the WhatsApp group? He's like, what are they doing? What are they supposed to... Where, where, what time is it? That's me, I'm that mom, okay? God bless you class moms, we love you. <laughs> I built forts in the garden with them and lost all the forms that were meant to be returned to school. Parenting revealed I was the mom who made up the most fantastic, hilarious stories and was sometimes the only one who could make the toddler stop crying, but I am also that mom who is on her third wedding ring. To be clear, same husband, same gorgeous, clever man I married at the age of 22, third wedding ring. I'm not going to go into details except to say that one incident involved getting the dog x-rayed, digging through poop for two weeks and getting one of those metal detector guys to come and walk through the garden, okay? I didn't know why I was like this, so I just made the reasons up. You see, when we don't know why, when we don't have a, a name for our cage, when we don't know the truth, we start to believe lies. In the absence of truth, we start to believe lies. And the lies that I believed about myself was that I was lazy, hazy, and crazy. Jess, you're just lazy. You can't finish what you start. You always procrastinate. It's so pathetic how you get so overwhelmed and you just end up doing nothing. What is wrong with you? Get your life together. Jess, I know you thought you were smart, but your brain is more than just a bit hazy. I know how you get the details wrong when you remember a conversation and it looks like you're hiding something or worse, making stuff up. It's not normal that you get so confused with schedules and feel so unorganized and stressed and stupid for getting things wrong. Everyone else is so on top of things. What a, why is this so hard for you, Jess? And you know what the worst thing about you is, Jess? You're crazy. You're too sensitive. You're too intense. Saying things without thinking. You take stuff so personally. Seriously, Jess, as Taylor Swift says, you need to calm down. You get so obsessed with something that you interrupt. You talk over people, you overshare way too much. Oh wait, <laughs> I wrote a book about that. I know how you every, overthink everything and it's not normal. You see, at best, the cage made me believe I was a small person living a small life. On a good day, I could explain all of this with resignation. Oh, I'm just not a high capacity person. 
but at worst, the absence of an explanation made me feel irreparable. Without language for the problem, there's no hope for the solution. And I believed I was hurting more than helping. And my husband and kids would be better off without me. And that guilt led me down tracks that no one should travel. But then I found the real why. And suddenly it was like a key was dropped into my cage. Many years ago I came across this poem. This is the poem that Glennon stole and used in her New York Times bestseller. Anyway, whatever. Many years ago, I came across this poem by the 14th century Sufi poets, Hafez. Hafez originally wrote it with a masculine character, but when I read it, someone had taken poetic license and turned it to a woman, and so I heard my story in a poem composed by a Persian man almost 800 years ago. It's called Dropping Keys. The small woman builds cages for everyone she knows. While the sage, who has to duck her head when the moon is low, keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners. And so, I set out on a journey to figure out the name of my cage. And as it turns out, the name of my cage was undiagnosed ADHD. Yes, that's another whole story. But I realized that without the truth, I was believing lies. And as a daughter of the king, as a child of God, as a woman who was created with the fingerprint of God, his DNA in my soul, I was not meant to be locked in a cage. I was not meant to live with the, the burden of lies about who I was and what I was able to do. I was meant to be soaring and flourishing and free. You see, when we name our cage, we can find our freedom. And I don't know what the name of your cage is. And tonight, I'm inviting you to come with me on a journey where we look at the two types of cages that often women find ourselves in. And then find a way to walk out the door. So, the two cages that I think many of us, especially us women, find ourselves living in. There's two. There's the not enough cage and there's the too much cage. You know what? You're not good enough. You're not young enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. So many of us are living in the not enough cage. And we don't know when those cage bars closed down, but they did. And we don't know how to get out, but we want to. The other cage that we find ourselves living in is the too much cage. Oh, Jess, you're just too intense. You're too opinionated. You're too loud. You're too young. And I don't know, maybe tonight you can think about what is the name of your cage? Which not enough lie has locked down on you? Which too much lie? has closed in and now you live in that space that it gives you, which is not enough. Sorry, I have a bag up here because I have some shoes here. And there are two types of shoes and maybe you're wearing them. These are my not good enough shoes. Now these shoes have no soul. 
And I didn't like take it off to make a point or anything. But these shoes are from Ground Cover, which is a really nice place. And they used to be my favorite shoes, right? And I used to wear them to bring comfort. <laughs> to warm my feet, right? These shoes were the shoes I would put on when I wanted to feel good. These are literally in my cupboard, you guys. I took them out, and they're actually bits of sole, like that have fallen out in the bag on the way here. Okay. These are my not enough shoes. And I know you think I look ridiculous, but some of you are walking around in shoes like this. You are, you're walking around in shoes like this. Now, don't worry, they're not the only ones I have. I also have my too much shoes. My shoes that make me too tall, too bossy, too opinionated, too loud. Jackie Mungovern calls me the potty-mouthed pastor, and I'm not gonna swear, don't worry, I won't do it here. Um, but, you know, too spicy, maybe, for people. These too much shoes, oh, look at them. <laughs> Yo, my husband's so short, guys, I can't wear them. It's just awkward for us. But I want to tell you a story about these shoes. I've read your story from this book, but I want to read your story from another book. It's a story that Jesus told. And just like someone changed the character in the Hafez poem, I'm going to change up this, the people in the story because I have two sons, and I don't need to talk about sons, I wanna talk about daughters, okay? I live with very stinky boys, um, so this is for us. This is Luke 15. A man had two daughters. The younger daughter told her father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So her father agreed to divide her, his wealth between his daughters. A few days later, this younger daughter packed all her belongings and moved to a distant land, like maybe Cape Town, hey girls? And there, she wasted all her money in wild living. About the time her money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and she began to starve. She persuaded a local farmer to hire her and the man sent her into his fields to feed the pigs. The woman became so hungry that even the pods she was feeding the pigs looked good to her, but no one gave her anything. When she finally came to her senses, she said to herself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your daughter. These are the shoes she was wearing. The I am not worthy shoes. The I am not good enough shoes. The I am nothing shoes. So she returned home to her father. And while she was still a long way off, her father saw her coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his daughter embraced her and kissed her. His daughter said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your daughter. But her father said to the servants, 
It's like, you can almost hear him going, shh, don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. Go get the finest robe. Go bring the finest robe in the house and put it on her. Get a ring for her finger, even if it's like the fourth one. Put it on. I don't care if she loses it again. And sandals on her feet, please, Jesus. New sandals for these feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this daughter of mine was dead and now has returned to life. She was lost, but now she's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older daughter was in the fields working, not in Chislacusa. When she returned home, she heard music and dancing in the house. And she asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your sister is back, she was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of her safe return. The older sister was angry and wouldn't go in. Her father came out and begged her, but she replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. What? Those are not the right notes. There we go. And never once refused to do a single thing you asked me to. Can you guys see the ADHD? It's, it's, in, it's live. It was a sermon illustration for you. And the oldest sister says, in all that time, you never even gave me one goat for a feast with my friends. Some of you are parents in this room and you can literally hear this conversation happen to you. What do you mean she got a phone? I had to wait till I was 13. How come she gets a phone and no, 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 you know, this is what kids sound like. Yet when this daughter of yours, God, hey dad, your daughter comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, she was also spicy, um, <laughs> you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Her father said to her, look, Dear daughter, oh my gosh, he loves her too, even though she's such a cow. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Do you hear that? Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your sister was dead and has come back to life. She was lost, but now she is found. You see, so many of us, in a cage like those two girls were. Some of us are the younger sister. And we feel like, oh, Jess, you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the stuff I've done, the things I've thought. You don't know my story. Some of us are that younger sister. I'm the oldest of three girls. And we grew up past as kids. And my youngest sister made a shirt that she would wear to church on Sundays. And it said, yes, my name is Nikki. Yes, I am the youngest. And yes, I am enjoying school. <laughs> yeah. But you see, in the story of the youngest sister, there's the sister who's the rule breaker. She's the one who's like, you know what, Dad, I just, just give me the money. I'm just, I, have better, I have better places to be with more interesting people to do them with. She wants independence and she wants self-sufficiency. She is like, I don't need this whole family thing. I'm going on my own. I'm going to go let my hair down in Cape Town and I'm going to have so much fun and you don't need to know about it. And she heads off into the world where she parties and she spends and she finds friends who love that she does and who don't stick around when she doesn't. She rejects the one who loves her the most. We see a woman who is broken here. 
she has been broken by the choices that she's made. She's been broken by the imperfections in her life. And she finally just lands in a mess, in a literal mess, a life that is devoid of purpose, where she doesn't know who she is or why she's there. And she's full of regrets and she feels weak and she's lost her value. And she doesn't think she deserves to be welcomed back to her father. Those are her shoes. And some of us have walked in her shoes. Some of us know what that story feels like because we've walked it. But then we have the other cage. That was like the little sister cage. But then we have the older sister cage. This is the one that I was stuck in for a very long time. The obedient, dutiful older sister, the rule keeper, the responsible one, who does what is expected of her. She has met all the expectations of tradition and family. This is how we do things in our family, and she has ticked off the boxes. Whatever the community thought was best, she did everything she could to please. She set out to be the good one, to be the moral one. She's going to perform, and she is going to perfect, and she's going to make her dad so proud by never stepping a foot out of line. She has set such high expectations for herself, demanding the best and working like a slave to prove that she is worthy of love. But you know what else we see in her? That she's so angry and she is so resentful because everything she's worked so hard to accomplish still isn't enough. It is never enough. Can you hear her voice saying to her dad, Dad, how can, is nothing I do good enough? I have done everything right. She's superior. She's judgmental. She looks down on people around her. And the cage that she is, she's in is that her heart is hard and it's begrudging and that she's become a small woman. I mean, there is singing and dancing. There's a party and she won't go in because she's feeling sorry for herself. These are her shoes. And maybe you've walked in her shoes. Maybe you've felt what it's like to get stuck in that cycle where it's never enough, no matter how much you give, no matter how hard you try. No matter how many boxes you tick, it's never enough. Oh my gosh, I sound like myself. So here's the thing. Freedom isn't freedom if you don't walk out the door. You see, King Jesus comes and he drops a key into our cage. No matter what its name is, no matter how we got there, no matter how long we have felt stuck, Jesus comes and he drops a key into every one of our cages and he opens the door. It's open for you right now, no matter what the name of your cage is. But freedom isn't freedom if we don't walk out the door. What does that mean? How do we walk out the door? Guys, there's only one way to walk out of the cage and that is barefoot. It's the only way. To walk out of the cage is barefoot. To take off the shoes that you've been using 
to hold you back, to prove yourself, to take off the labels and the, the, the lies, the thing you've put on every day where you say, well, this is how I go through life. This is the road I walk. That's just how I am. That's just my destiny. I can't change. It can't be different. This is my way. But if we take off our shoes, those younger sister shoes of I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy, those big sister shoes of everything I do and I'm still not enough and I've tried so hard and why am I struggling still? We take off the shoes, the not enough shoes, the too much shoes. And I don't know what kind of shoes you put on every day and what the story is that you are living out. But the invitation of Jesus is freedom. Freedom from the story that you've picked up along the way and that you just keep walking in. It doesn't have to be like that. You see, the key that Jesus drops into our cage is grace. It's grace. It's undeserved love. And I know for me, I used to think grace was for sinners because I was a big sister. I thought, I don't need grace. I'm so good. God's grace is for all those shockers out there, you know, really off the rails. Shame. Jesus, do a miracle. And the miracle Jesus needed to do was to set me free from my judgmental, religious, people-pleasing, performing superiority and self-righteousness. Because you know what grace does? Grace just levels the playing field. Grace puts all the shoes in a pile and says, I don't care which ones are yours. They're not for you. You see, what we don't often notice in that story is that when that father comes out with, to meet his daughter, he offers her sandals. Jesus wants to give you new shoes. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jesus wants to give you new shoes because in that time, in that culture, shoes were a symbol of identity. The ring and the robe and the shoes was the father saying, she's mine. She's my daughter. I don't care what she's done. I don't care where she's been. She's my daughter. She belongs to me. And that's what Jesus wants to do for every single one of us. You see, God's love and forgiveness can unlock the cages that other people have put us in. It can also unlock the cages we've put ourselves in. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. I love Anne Lamott, beautiful writer, and she says, I, don't, I do not understand the mystery of grace. Grace is so offensive to big sisters like me because it's not fair that we all get treated the same. It's not fair. Grace is unfair. I don't understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and walks us out the door. It does not leave us where it found us. The grace of God will never leave you where it finds you. It will walk you out the door. I was recently reading a book on ADHD because now I'm like hyper-focused and obsessed with it, which is an ADHD trait, by the way. So my ADHD trait is that I'm obsessed about ADHD. It's like a loop that I live in. Um, but I was reading a book and they did these studies on um, these rabbits. Um, and these rabbits were 
given a really, really unhealthy diet. And they were studying the effects of obesity and cholesterol and what happens to our organs when we eat a really unhealthy diet. And as these scientists were conducting this um, study on these rabbits, at the end of the study, there was a group of rabbits that were healthy. They were healthy. When they performed their, like, you know, in animal inspections, what? when they did their things. These rabbits had less fat around their organs. They were healthy, they were thriving. And so these scientists went back to the laboratory where the studies had taken place to see what conditions were different because it was supposed to be a controlled study. And they found that one of the lab assistants responsible for those 40 rabbits loved them. I don't know. She would stroke them, and she would talk to them, and she, would, she was kind, and she was gentle to them. And basically, these guys discovered love heals us. Love actually makes us healthy. Love actually heals our minds and our bodies. And that's why I eat chips, because Tom loves me, and Jesus loves me. And I'm basically just losing weight by being so loved. <laughs> oh, I wish it was like that. <laughs> but you know where, I, I, I just want to land this here. I'm going to take my basket and all my shoes and everything just from the side here because I want to invite you to stand. And I want to, I just want to say, you know, that story that I read from Luke 15 is often called the prodigal son. And maybe you thought, oh, that's clever. Jess made it the prodigal daughter. But the truth is, it's actually, Tim Keller writes about this, the prodigal God. Because prodigal means extravagant. Prodigal means recklessly spending. You know, the word prodigious, like there was a lot. Or the word prodigy, like exceptionally gifted, has extra, extra, extra talent. Prodigal comes from that same root word that the prodigal God is this extravagant God. And the story's not about the older daughter. This story's not about you. And the story's not about the younger daughter, the wayward one who lost her way. It's not about her. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about this King. It's about how Jesus is recklessly, extravagantly, ridiculously, doesn't make any sense, offensively, generous to us with his love. He loves you so much. When he sees you coming, whatever kind of shoes you're wearing, he is filled with compassion and love. And he wants to embrace you and pick you up and kiss you and put a new ring and brand new shoes on you and say, you're mine, you're mine. I don't care if you're an older daughter or a younger daughter, but God's reckless, ridiculous love for us is our greatest hope. That's why we hope. This grace of God. And so the picture that Jesus gives us in the story is a picture of God watching and waiting for us to come home and to kick off the shoes we've been wasting our time wearing and to walk barefoot into his presence and out of the door out of the door. This is a God who just, 
He wants to give you a place of honor in His home. He wants to honor you tonight. God, I know we came here to praise Him, but you know He honors you. He wants to honor you. He wants to celebrate you. He wants, to, he wants the world to celebrate you. He invites us into the party no matter how judgy or self-righteous we have been. He is just this recklessly giving, spending God. And so I want to pray for you tonight. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you to do something weird. You, you already saw it coming. Hey, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? You're going to take off your shoes. You're going to take off your shoes, girls. And I want you to do it. And, and you know what? It's weird. And it's awkward. And if you're like me, you've got big toes, they're a little bit hairy, and they haven't had a manicure for a while. I'm going to take off your shoes. The socks are optional, it's fine. But here's the reason why I want you to take off your shoes. In Joshua 5, Joshua was the commander of God's army. And a man appeared to Joshua holding a sword, ready for battle. Battle ready, Tess, battle ready. And he said to Joshua, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. That's Joshua 5. Do you know what happened in Joshua 6? The walls of Jericho came down. And I really believe that when we take off our shoes and we say, you know what, God, I'm setting aside my capacity, my ability, my, the lies, I'm putting them aside, I'm believing your truth. Do you know what happens to the walls of our cages? They come down. And there is heaven's army fighting for you, the king's daughter, to step into the identity of who you are, of who God made you, and to walk out of that cage, soaring and flourishing and free. So let's praise. When we were singing earlier, I had this word, He inhabits the praises of His people. When we sing, we make space and God fills it up. And so we're gonna sing King Jesus because that's who we belong to.